Where do you go for the most important conversations in applied behavior analysis? The podcast is your source for insightful content, debate, and insights in the ABA field. Whatever your role, RBT, BCBA, C-suite, family member, or advocate, we'll get you to the heart of the meaningful issues in autism. Podcast is proudly hosted by the Council for Autism Service Providers. We are your hosts, Nagarito, Judith Urcity, Hallie Respondic, Nitesh Kumar, and Jonathan Mueller, and this is our podcast. Tell us your name, organization, and what's your tie to the autism community? My name is Joanne Garinzer. My organization is the Eden 2 Programs, and I've been working at the Eden 2 Programs, serving children and adults with autism for 39 years, going on 40. And so uh, it's, I've been working with kids with autism my whole life. And how did you get into the field initially? So I, my two friends growing up were deaf. And uh, so my guidance counselor told me to get a, be a speech pathologist. I could work with kids who were deaf. But when I got to graduate school, I worked with kids with autism and I never looked back. So if you could describe ABA in a six word sentence. So ABA is, and what is ABA to you personally? ABA is the most effective way to change behavior. So whenever we're getting podcasts up and running and out there to whoever's going to listen to it. What do you think are the important topics to cover given that we'll have this platform with CASP? What do you think that providers, anybody associated with CASP need to hear right now? I think they need to understand what good ABA is. I think part of the problem in the community now is that we are so big and the training hasn't caught up with the, the supply and demand problems. And so there's just some not great ABA going on. So if we can continue to hit home, what is good ABA for children with autism or adults with autism? I think, you know, measuring outcomes, how do you know you're doing a good job is really important. So those would be two really critical things for me that I think need to be talked about a lot. And what do you think just in regard to outcomes and the training and everything like that? What's your ideal first step towards taking care of that? You know, I, I think one of the things I love about CASP is its willingness for all of its participants and members to share. And I think one of the things we need to do, and it's not easy, but we need to create this sort of giant database where we can all upload information so that we can start to have metrics where we can compare. You know, I say to my board, I think we're doing really good in managing vehicle accidents, but I'm comparing myself to myself. Right. I'd love to know what other residential providers are doing uh, in terms of how many vehicle accidents they have per 100 miles driven. So I think that would be a really important thing. You know, outcomes for, for us in the ABA field have got to move up beyond early intervention. Otherwise, we're going to lose the war, right? We've got to be able to objectively show that ABA is the most effective um, set of tools to change behaviors of teens, of adults, of people living in residences. And we just don't have that data right now. Joanne, what's your superpower? I'm really lucky. I don't know if that's a superpower. Oh my gosh, I love that answer. But it's just really, you know, all my life, if I've gotten to a Y in the road and I have to make a choice, it's always been the right one. And it's just luck. So I'm going to ask you a more personal question. I've heard your wedding from multiple people was the best wedding ever. What do you think made it the best wedding ever? Well, it was, first of all, a five-hour cocktail party. There were no <laughs> tables. We didn't sit anybody. But, you know, my wife's mother was a nun for 12 years. And uh, the idea that we were getting married didn't really fly well. And so I said to Amy, you know, I want this to be partially traditional so that she sees that, you know what, it's normal and partially not because we don't want to have kids. 
because we have a great life without them. But we love kids and we have a lot of kids in our life. So one of the things we did during the wedding was we, I don't know if you know the game Circle Game, the song Circle Game with Joe. It's, you guys are too young. But it's, <laughs> it's a song that talks about growing up and each mm -hmm. verse is a different age. And so, um, and it's a very important song to Amy and I. And so we had all of the kids that are important to us. Uh, during their age group, they walked down the aisle with flowers and they gave us oh the flowers. Gosh. And it was really beautiful. And so the wedding itself, I thought, was just really beautiful. And then the reception was just kick-ass. <laughs> <laughs> Joy, where do you get your energy? I, You know what? This is going to sound sort of like a Debbie Downer, but my dad died at 37. He, was, he just went to work one day and dropped dead of a heart attack. And I was nine years old. And I just think, I think that if you don't live every minute of life, you don't know when the next minute's not going to be there, right? And so... I just, that's kind of the way I look at it. And I can attest to that. She knows how to have fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, so true. So what is the best advice you've received either professionally or personally? And then what's the worst advice you've ever received? Well, the best advice is don't follow the money. You know, it, if you follow your heart and you make decisions about what you love to do, you're going to make the money. You, you know, if, if you, you know, we spend, I don't know, I'm making this number up, but we spend 60, 70% of our adult waking life at work. If, if what you're doing is hating your job so that you make enough money to like the other 30% of your life, it's just sad. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, the choices that I've made putting me in the field of autism have never been about the money and it's always been fine. It's always worked out well. So that was the best advice is, Follow your heart, love your job, don't follow the money. Worst advice. It's hard to, to, to think about it. I mean, listen, I, I guess some of the things we did um, in the field of ABA back in the early 80s, I'm not really all that proud of. It's what we did. It's what we were told to do. It's what we knew. But we are so much better now. And I thank, I'm thankful that we learned and evolved and became better. I love that you brought up the history of ABA. I feel like as a field, we are not doing enough reflecting and looking at our history so we can learn from it as we, as a baby field, as we grow, right? And I mean, the science is amazing. We impact so many lives, but we can do better if we can stop and reflect. Right. So what do you think are some of the biggest lessons we can learn from our history? Well, I mean, I think clearly, you know, being better at listening to the families and the people that we serve. It's funny because, you know, I, I've been going to ABA conferences for 35 years and I've always been sort of a little bit of an outsider because I'm a speech pathologist. I'm not a behavior analyst, but I've always been in my heart a functioning behavior analyst. I didn't know you were. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I've always been like, sometimes you're just so rigid. You follow the science to the point of rigidity. And I think being able to, I don't know what the term they use in these days. What is it? Uh, I want to say like <laughs> nice ABA or yeah. culturally sensitive ABA. Uh -huh. or Cultural humility. It's something to that effect. You know, I get that, that behavior analysts don't operate outside of what they can't measure and see, but sometimes you just got to take a step back. And, um, you know, so speech pathologists, we have a different definition of evidence-based practice, I think, right? And I, I think behavior analysts make a mistake by only thinking that evidence-based practice equals empirically validated treatment. They're not the same thing, right? Evidence-based practice also includes your own personal experiences and the preferences of the people you're serving. And I get it. I don't want to do things that don't work, but we can get families to understand that if we can just be a little bit more, less arrogant, I guess is the 
players I would like to use. Yeah. Who would you most want to hear on this podcast? Which guests? Eva Lovas. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> would uh, Dr. Larson do? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you've never gotten an opportunity, you won't because there's no one who does. But Ivar was a really interesting guy. I went to see him speak in 1987, just before he published his study. And that's when he talked about the recovery, this idea. And he basically presented his 1987 study. And he talked about the fact that you, what he did was you did 40 hours of intensive one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, back in the 1980s, we had two staff for six kids. I mean, there was no such thing as one-to-one. -one. And so if somebody asked the question, it's all good that you're presenting this, but like, dude, get into the real world here. We don't have one-to-one. -one. And his answer was, that's not my problem. My problem is to show you what's possible, and then your problem is to make it happen. Mm. And although one to one piece of cake, yeah, he was an interesting guy. So we didn't get the pleasure of meeting him. What do you think was one of the neatest thing you learned about him on a personal level that maybe people get wrong about him? Well, he was crazy, you know, <laughs> uh, but in a really good way. Uh, you know, if you watch a really talented therapist working with a kid with autism, they're off. They're a little off. They're fun. They're crazy. They're not. Um, they're not shy. They're not. And he was good. He was a, he was a very good. I get it. I get that they use reverses back in the early days. I get, but they were doing things that they thought were necessary and they evolved, but he's, he's a really funny guy. Very, very funny. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, I can, I can talk, talk to, to you for days. a long time. <laughs> um, yeah. But thank you're you, Joanne. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. I think you bring like, you're so fun. And I think you bring so much wisdom and humility that the field needs. And I know you kind of have a very direct experience, but having that, I think, perspective of being a speech pathologist, because you're right, I think we get we get so consumed and caught up in it that it's just really helpful to gain some perspective because then you're just blinded. Yeah. And I don't think there's a lot of progress I, I, there. I think just to go back to a question that you asked, one of the other things I think is really, really important that you should talk about is besides knowing how to change behavior, what else should behavior analysts be studying? And I think if you're gonna work in the field of autism, you need to study autism. It needs to be part of your curriculum. You need to study how to talk to parents, how to, you know, trauma-informed therapy. There's just a lot of stuff outside of shaping and chaining. And <laughs> Discrete trials. Are you yeah. sure you know BCBA? I know. <laughs> All the words. Yeah. Well, thank you. I have one question okay. for her. So where do you think, as a field, we went wrong to get so much of this anti-ABA movement and all the the loud noise that is happening around that. I don't think it was where you went wrong. I think it's unfortunately it was a perfect storm, right? The perfect storm of you got all these publications that show how effective ABA is. You've got this dramatic spike in people with autism. They, they both occurred at the same time. You had unmanaged, remember back in the early days, in, in, the, in the early 90s, the BACB didn't exist. And people were hanging up shingles. I mean, they were they were zero credentials. They might have been, a, you know, a, a janitor in a in a elementary school, and they're like, I like this ABA stuff. Click, I'm putting up a shingle. I'm going to do ABA. Mm -hmm. And parents were desperate, so they took whatever they could get. So I think it was really important to create a credential. Um, and it's growing pains right now. You know, I go back to this idea that if you cannot figure out how to play in the sandbox, eventually people are going to shun you. And you're not big enough. You've got to figure out how to play in the sandbox. Joanne, will we see you in Dublin in September 22? You are so for ABA. Going to see you. <laughs> At your Airbnb.